Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Thursday, February 18th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. I haven't said this in a while. It's a game day edition. Uh, I feel like Wayne and Garth in Wayne's World. Game on! So, uh, thank goodness. And we can't wait for the Flyers to be back. It's not going to be the same Flyers that we saw in their last game 12 days ago with that 7-4 win over the Washington Capitals. Still going to be a significant amount of players out of the game. Uh, but uh, the Flyers will be back in action tonight, taking on the New York Rangers. We're going to get to Keith Jones uh, from the Philadelphia Flyers television broadcast and the NHL and NBC in just a moment and get his thoughts about the season. Uh, but looking at Bill Meltzer's Twitter uh, the lines yesterday in practice in advance of this game tonight, the top line was Sean Couturier, James Van Riemsdyk, and Joel Faraby. Second line uh, centered by Kevin Hayes. Second line centered by Kevin Hayes with Nicholas Albe-Kubel and Michael Raffle. Uh, then the third line, Nolan Patrick centering Andrew Kasha and Connor Bunneman. And the fourth line, uh, Andy Andrioff, uh, Maxime Sushko, and uh, Sam Moran. And then your D pairs that you look pretty good here. You look pretty normal about on the D, on the blue line with Proveroff and Myers as your top pair. Uh, Travis Sanheim and Shane Gostisbehere as your number two pair. Uh, Robert Haig and Gustafson as the third pair. And then both goalies available: Carter Hart and Brian Elliott. Uh, so 24 pra- players practiced yesterday. None of the seven COVID protocol players were back as of yesterday, though. But uh, Flyers will be back in action tonight, and this is part of the deal. With this NHL season, uh, these are some of the things that teams, uh, now the Flyers as well, have had to go through uh, in this season. That's why you have the ex- expanded roster. And also, you know, Bill Meltzer put this out, and this is astounding to me. Bill uh, Meltzer, at Bill Meltzer on Twitter, said, As far as I can tell, tomorrow's game will be the first game since March 1st, 2009, just about 12 years ago, a couple weeks shy of 12 years ago, which was a 3 nothing win at New Jersey, that won't feature either Claude Giroux or Jake Voracek in the Flyers lineup. Now, Voracek got to Philadelphia in the 2011-12 season, and Giroux played every game in the 2009-10 and 11-12 season. So um, this will be the first time that both of those players will not be in the lineup in almost 12 years. We talk about the numbers that Claude Giroux has put up and the, the, the Ironman streak that he's on right now. Uh, well over 300 games, and Jake Voracek puts up monster numbers as well. And for the most part, both players are, are knock on wood, but healthy pretty much all the time. And I always say this, that the number one skill in sports isn't just talent and execution, it's availability. Because no matter how much talent you have, if you're not available, it doesn't matter. So availability of paramount importance. And these two players have been available. And these two players uh, show up, battle through injuries, and get out there, and they play night in and night out through long seasons. And they've done it for years. And that's uh, that's certainly an, an, and that's certainly a good attribute to have. Uh, but that'll be uh, stunning to see that. You hate to see it come. And for this record of now just about 12 years for it to end because of COVID protocol, uh, but, you know, we're just out of 2020. Not everything's perfect, obviously. All right, let's get to my conversation with Flyers television analyst and the NHL on NBC's very own Keith Jones. Jonesy joins us now. Jonesy, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jay. What's happening, buddy? Um, it, it's been disjointed, Jonesy. You know, I'm, it's been so long since the Flyers have played. It's now 12 days game to game. Man, as a player, that probably would have driven you a bit crazy, wouldn't it have? 
Yeah, you know, the only ones, the uh, only time you would benefit is if you were trying to come back from an injury or something that might buy you a little more time. But other than that, it would be something that would really be disruptive to everything you're doing to get ready for the next game. So I think it's just something we all have to expect this year. And I, I think everyone's eyes are wide open under these circumstances. And you're just kind of dealing with the hand that you're dealt. And the Flyers have a pretty mature team. So I suspect that they'll handle it relatively well, hope, hoping that they get most of their personnel back when they get started again. You would think, you know, veteran players would be more equipped to handle these disruptions because of the, you know, the, the known of what a season entails and, and this is out of their hands. But this can also benefit a younger player, can it? Like a guy like Travis Konechny, who maybe could have just used a reset. Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> you know, for any player that's, you know, been slumping a little bit, that I do believe there is the opportunity to kind of start over again. And sometimes when you are having a bit of a slump early in the season, it can kind of get magnified because the numbers start to really bother you. But the fact that he was scoring goals, if we're just using Travis as an example, I think he'll absolutely, I know he'll be fine, but maybe another reset that does help uh, someone in Travis's situation. But uh, I get full faith that he's going to figure things out and play the way we know he's capable of playing. I know you were probably never a healthy scratch, but what does that meant the first time it happens to a player? What kind of goes through the player's head? It goes one way or the other. Some guys are like very accepting of it and go and put the work in and get themselves back in the lineup. Others like myself react negatively to it and <laughs> get angry and then perform better when they get back in the lineup. So there's multiple reasons that you do it. Uh, making a average player. That's not necessarily someone that's relied upon very often. A healthy scratch is easy. Uh, a player that's in your top six amongst forwards or your top pairing on defense is a much more difficult and complicated scenario. And I think, Alain Vigneault being as experienced as he is behind the bench, he kind of knows which guys it can work for and which guys it will affect in a real negative way where you can't bring them back out of it. I think that's where having a head coach like Vigneault goes a long way and making you from a distance at least looking at the Flyers team feel comfortable that he knows what buttons to push and when to push them. You know, it's interesting. I heard a story from Mike Rupp. He was telling it on NHL Network Radio that when he was in Columbus, Scott Hartnell was there. This is after he had a really good year with the Flyers, his first year in Columbus. And Torts healthy scratched him. And he came back in the next game and scored a hat trick. And now Torts knows the way to get him fired up. So now he's going to healthy scratch him every time he feels like he's not playing well. So he's damned if he do, he yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But it is a short-term fix. There's there's no question about that. But there is certain players. Like, I remember Rick Tockett telling me a story when he played for Mike Keenan. And he and Keenan, you know, obviously knew each other well. And Mike loved Rick's style of play. But if he felt like it was slipping a little bit in any particular area, because a player like Talk was asked to do everything, not just yeah. score goals and kill penalties and defend, but also to fight when necessary as well and provide physical intimidation against the opponent and Keenan once sat him for two periods 
without a shift with no explanation. And Tuck had no idea what had, uh, what he had done wrong. But by the time he got his first shift in the third period, he was so angry, he beat the hell out of somebody <laughs> on the opposition and then beat him up again when he got out of the penalty box. And Mike Keenan had a huge smile on his face after the game. And I don't think he ever explained himself to talk after that on why he did what he did. But according to talk, he played uh, at another level after it. So sometimes the mind manipulation can go a long way in helping a player that might not even realize his play is slipping, get back on track. Yeah, it's just a whip you can't go to too often because it loses the effect. Hey, Jonesy, there's no player that if you take him out of the Flyers lineup has a more pronounced effect on the way the game looks than Sean Couturier. The fact that the Flyers are 8-3-2 and two through 13 games and he's played two games and two shifts total this season, I, I, I kind of made the case that that may be the most impressive stat of the season thus far. It is. And the Flyers did a really good job of not just treading water in his absence, but finding ways to win games, whether it was a strong goaltending performance from Brian Elliott, uh, different players stepping up with hat tricks, including Konechny, who had one along the way, Lindblom doing some good things and picking up some goals late in games, Uh, Patrick returning to the lineup and showing signs that you know, eventually he's going to get things figured out and start playing to his full potential. It was just different guys at different times, and Joel Farabee's another guy that jumps out at me who really came up with some clutch performances, uh, especially when it came to scoring goals. So the fact that their record is what it is right now it speaks volumes for the depth on the team, but I don't think they would have been able to maintain the same pace without Gatoria returning to the lineup for that game against Washington where – he absolutely was the difference maker. Yeah, they move into that top line in the third period, and you see the ramifications thereof. Hey, Josie, let's talk about Farabee real quick because, you know, scoring goals at levels leading up to the NHL is one thing. You get to the NHL, and it takes a different ability to finish. He seems to have worked on that. He's showing the, uh, the you know, that, that work that he put in paying off here early with six goals. How difficult is it to make that jump into the NHL as an offensive player, and then be able to score at that level? Because he got a lot of chances last year, but now he's finishing. Yeah, especially when you're not considered to be a natural goal scorer, right, Jaylee? He's, yeah. He has uh, always been you know, highly regarded by the organization since he was drafted because of his strong two-way play and his intelligence on the ice. Now he's getting stronger. Now his shot's improving. Now all the offense is starting to come together and he's going to have, you know, some spurts where it's not going to be there because he is a young player, but to do what he's doing at his age and, you know, be able to last year jump in and play it consistently in the lineup. And now this year taking it to another level is a really positive sign. And it is a credit to the work that he put in uh, during the off season. Clearly he wanted to have a, more important role on the team and he's doing his part to make sure that he continues to see you know some power powerful minutes and key situations and the early results and the confidence should be uh, kind of coincide and that should serve him well as the season moves along jonesy uh, of all the good storylines around the league so far this year there's probably none as compelling as the james van reemsdyke story he's a guy that's playing with joel farabee quite a bit as well 
his game looks so different. And, and I heard him interviewed, and he said he in his training, and you know how open-minded he is, he wanted to make his game and his body more elastic. Uh, first of all, what do you think of the term elastic, and do, do you see what he's talking about on the ice? It's an interesting term, but yeah, I think it's just about being able to, I guess, stretch out, right, and do more. Yeah. Be more pliable, I, I, I guess. Think- yeah. yeah, and that's part of it as well. So, I mean, for all great athletes, uh, especially the ones who want to be the top of their game, they work on things. They, they don't use the off-season to just, um, you know, get rested and get recharged. They use the off-season to develop things that they think they can use to improve their performance. And clearly that's what we're watching right now. Yeah, and he's playing at a really high level. Um, Jonesy, the top pairing right side with the departure of Matt Niskanen was obviously a big hole that in, in a year where, you know, the trade market hasn't been there like it is in, in regular seasons and where free agency was much different than it's been in past years, it's a, it's a tough hole to fill for Chuck Fletcher. It is probably their number one need at this point. Is the answer in-house or is that something that they may have to look at down the line here when you get closer to the trade deadline? I, I think they're always looking. I think Phil Myers is really proving that he's ready to take the responsibility of a Matt Niskanen, but he's going to need support. So the right-handed shooting defenseman like Niskanen that can play in all situations are very difficult to find. Uh, you'd have to be really careful if you were trying to fix it uh, through trade, that you weren't locking up a player that you didn't want to have for you know an extended period of time. I think Myers is really capable, Jay. I think he's, I think he's going to be a star. As much as Provorov is already in that category, Myers is not far behind. And there's so many things that you can see in his progression that he's improving by leaps and bounds and kind of a limited window. It just makes me think that this guy is going to be something special. So I, I, I do think he can make up, you know, for some of what you lose with Niskanen. And I just don't know how that, the how high the pace would be to try to replace a Niskanen-type player with one who's similar to Niskanen. That's a high price. So I, I think that uh, they'll kind of try to do it in-house, but if they can find something as a stopgap, a veteran player that can come in and provide some of that, then it wouldn't shock me if they did that. But... I think they're pretty happy with their their group, and I I think they're pretty happy where they sit right now in the standings. Yeah, in the shortened year, that's enormous. The other part, too, is you have an expansion draft, so anybody that you take on long-term, you're going to want to protect, especially if you gave anything of value up to get them because you don't want to ship off a good prospect or a pick and then all of a sudden have that player or another player plucked from you and you essentially lost the player for nothing. Um, Jonesy, looking at the league, um, you cover the entire league for the NHL and NBC. Um, you watch this entire thing. You know, no preseason this year, uh, a nine-day training camp with, with no exhibition games. Are, are we starting to get to that point anywhere between that 12-13 game mark and 20 game mark where we start to really understand what teams are, what they are? Because we can't go based on last year. If you go based on last year, you're the fool, right? So every team's different every year. And are we starting to understand who who's who, who the contenders are, who the legit teams are, and who the teams that maybe we thought were going to be good that are struggling like Vancouver or some others? Yeah, it's interesting. I do think we're getting a feel for it, and it's it's uh, 
kind of the teams in the West that I thought would be the strongest are proving to be right now. Vegas and Colorado, even though they've both missed multiple players at different times. The Avalanche are missing a bunch right now. But they look to me to be the cream of the crop over there. I don't think that's going to change. I think that's the way it's going to play out. I think the Blues will try to make some noise just underneath them. But I think that um, Vegas and Colorado are much the best as far as that goes. The Canadian teams are difficult to get a feel for, but Toronto's played some very good hockey at a couple burps in the last couple games that they've played in, but they look to be the better team in that, uh, I guess it's the North Division. Uh, you come back, Tampa looks very good again. Stamkos is back and healthy, and that's a big plus, especially in the absence of Kucherov. But teams like Carolina and that are, are the type of team that surprise you. Like they, you, you never want to pick them, but they keep showing up and they keep making the playoffs and they keep going on runs, although they have not been able to get over the top. But that's a team that I find to be an interesting one. Rangers are, are probably the biggest disappointment to me based upon how they've played so far this year. And my expectations were that they'd be battling with the Flyers and trying to get into the playoff uh, yeah, situation. So the Rangers are a little bit surprising. Yeah, and Zibanejad not off to the start the way he finished last year, although he was incredible at the end of the last season. He may, he may have caught Pasternak and, and Ovechkin last year with those goal totals the way he was humming down the stretch. Uh, uh, Jonesy, did you ever uh, play Rochambeau to decide who got off the ice last, a little rock, paper, scissors like Marshan and Zibanejad did? No, I never did, but I, I, I find it humorous. It is, I loved uh, it. <laughs> it, is enter- it is entertaining, and that's what Marchand is. He's, a, he's one of the game's great entertainers, but he's also one of the great players, yeah. which makes it that much, uh, that much more fun to follow someone like that. You know, he's hated by fans of different, uh, mar- in different markets, but for the most part, he's done a great job of taking his game to the highest level, and in my eyes, he's one of the top five most important players in the game to his team. So... From Boston's lucky they got a couple guys like Bergeron and Marchand and Pasternak and Ryan Shotgun with those guys. They're, they're in a good place. They're going to be tough to beat this year. Man, that line's been stellar. Last thing for you, Jonesy, as the most famous resident of Brantford, Ontario, what was the thought that went through your mind when uh, the second most famous resident of Brantford, Ontario, Wayne Gretzky, turned 60? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It is, isn't I grew it? Up, obviously. <laughs> like, I was eight years younger and just Obviously, as a young kid, that's right in your wheelhouse for idolizing players that are older than you. And I, by the time I was of age to really understand how great Wayne was and was going to be, he was already leaving Brantford to head on and play junior hockey at the age of like 14. <laughs> so I grew up, I was lucky I grew up between two of his brothers, uh, Glenn and, um, and Keith. So I knew the Gretzky family well, but I never really knew Wayne until... I made it to the NHL, and now I've been fortunate enough to get to know him really well, especially after my playing days have ended. So I, it's weird. 60s, that's a, that's a strange one, but um, he'll handle it with the, the grace that he handles everything else. The guy's just been a, such a good ambassador for hockey, and you'd never know he was when you hang out with him that he was the greatest player of all time just because he never acts like it. He just acts like one of the boys.
when you were growing up and you're eight years younger than him, like what was the legend like? I, and the numbers that he put up in in peewee hockey and and you know you talking yeah. were just insane. insane. Let's put it this way, Jay. He was so good that the city almost chased, like basically chased him out because he was so much better than everybody else. Ties into youth sports in a lot of different ways, and hopefully it's better today than it was then. Remarkably, he was in a situation where parents of players on his own team were happy that he left to go somewhere else because he was so much better than any of them. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a really weird dynamic, but that is something that stood out to me when I would look back on that. But that's how much better he was than everybody. And there's games that he would put up 13, 14 points in a game. And if you look at him, he's just the same. He's this tiny guy. Yeah. But he just did. It's an, an incredible story. If people ever get the chance to watch like some of the autobiographies on him, especially younger people that haven't had a chance to really watch him, you watch what happens. And if the story is told properly, uh, you'll just be in awe of the things that he was able to accomplish. And he is, in my eyes, the, the greatest hockey player to ever play. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Most dominant athlete, in my opinion, as well in any team sport. Hey, Jonesy, thanks for doing this, man. Bob, we'll see you soon uh, as the Flyers get back on uh, the ice against the New York Rangers and then in Tahoe on Sunday. And we'll be watching on the NHL and NBC as well. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it, Jay. Take care. Thanks to Keith Jones for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. Flyers back in action tonight to take on the New York Rangers. So uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow on a day after game edition of Flyers Daily. In the meantime, everybody, have a great day. Stay safe and enjoy your hockey tonight. Down the street, you can hear a scream. You're a disgrace. And she slams the door in his drunken face. And now he stands outside. And all the neighbors start to gossip and drool. He cries, oh girl, you must be mad. What happened to the sweet love you and me?